podcast. We pray that you are encouraged with this message. For more information, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Our motivation of, of worship isn't always to get something, but when you worship, you just do get something. Right? If you're not getting anything out of worship, then try giving a little bit more in worship. Right? Are you guys with me? So you're like, oh, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. Well, did you give anything in worship today? No. Well, the problem is, is worship was never intended for you to receive. You just receive because you encounter the uncreated one, and he just blows you away. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I, I, all of us have a longing in our lives to be fascinated, right? We all love that. We love, we love to check out the newest movie, to get the latest gadget. We love to have technology and all this stuff. Why? Because it's fascinating. It, it captivates our attention, right? And uh, sadly, we live in a world that is so driven by entertainment. In fact, Americans spend about $3,000 a year on entertainment alone. Tons of money, about you know, around $200 a month, most of us will spend on being entertained, whether it be cable television, whether it be a Netflix account, whatever it is, we just invest money in entertainment. And I'm not rebuking you for that, but, but this is telling us something. The reason why entertainment is a priority in our life is because we long in the human heart, God has put inside of you a desire to be fascinated by something. I remember as a kid, uh, I was born in the 70s. Some of y'all don't even know what the 70s are. I was born in, a, in an era of the 70s, and I really kind of grew up in the 80s. But uh, as you know, when I was a kid, the big thing was video games. And I remember when I was a kid, I don't know, man, I was probably like six or seven years old. We had some friends bring over this box to our house, and uh, it had like you put batteries in it, which that totally doesn't make sense now. You put the batteries in it, and it had some switches on there for levels and hard and hard or turn the volume up. And the volume actually came from the box. You didn't put it, uh, you, the volume didn't come through the TV. It came through the box. Isn't that weird? And so, um, and back in those days, we didn't have like cable like we do now where you like plug the thing in the back. You actually had these two screws on the back of your TV and they had a box that you had to screw these pins to on the back and you get a reception that was kind of fuzzy and you switched on their device or TV. And so it was like a little switch that you put on your antenna. And so eventually they came out with AV imports and, you know, now HDMI and all this kind of stuff. But I remember sitting in my room and one of our friends had brought over this box and uh, it kind of looked something like this. We got a picture of the, it was called Paddle 4, right? And so, and you know, it was a Pong type game. So they had all these competitors had these games called Pong. Y'all heard of that and you've made little jokes and you've looked for it on eBay to see if you can get one and sell it for a million dollars one day. And so what it was, you had this little paddle and it's featuring four games with detachable remote controls. Now detachable doesn't mean wireless, right? It means detachable. They, they fit on the unit and then you pull the unit back. But ours is a little, the one we played with was different. These have dials. Ours just had a switch, an up and down switch, and it had a red button on it. And the red button was to restart, and it had this little paddle. You called it a paddle. It was a little switch, basically. You held it in your hand, and you went up and down, and you played with these little bars, and the little box, it wasn't even a ball, a little box bounced back and forth, and you played stuff like tennis on it. And uh, for hours, beep, 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 like it made two sounds, beep and burr, right? Maybe a ding if you scored. 
And uh, I remember being so fascinated, but eventually the fascination wore out, right? I think these boxes were like 200 bucks back in the, back in the 70s. Now that was probably like $800 now. Now we, we, we think we would, I would never spend, you would have back then because that was the thing to have. That was like the iPhone of, uh, of the day. And then I remember in about 1985, they came out with this thing called the Nintendo. You guys remember the Nintendo? Some of y'all weren't born yet. We got a picture of that. Actually, let's, let's look at the other device first. Actually, 1985, I think, is when the Atari came out. Is that right? 1982. 1982, I think. And so there it is. There's the Atari. And you guys have seen the Atari before. Now, the graphics on this one look a little better than ours did. But again, it's probably that box on the back. Like, how'd you get it in HD? Oh, well, you got to get the gold tips on the thing. And so you, if you guys ever played Atari, you would blow in the cartridge and stick it in there to try to make it work. And if you played, um, how many of y'all were alive when the Atari was around? Okay, about four of us. Um, and so what would happen is you would play this game and, you know, you'd play Pac-Man and they had a console, you know, we'd go to 7-Eleven, everywhere had video game consoles in them. They would put them in laundromats. So you go to the laundromat, not to do laundry, but play video games. Or you go to the pizza joint, not to eat pizza, but to play video games. Or you would go to the convenience store and they'd all have little game rooms in them. It's crazy. This is what it was like in the 80s. And, uh, and so they had this game Pac-Man. It emulated the console. It wasn't as good, but hey, you didn't have to leave the house and pay a quarter. And so we would go and we would play and then they had... This level on there where you could get the ghost stuck in the in the little tunnels. You know, the ghosts run out. You actually get the ghost stuck. It was like a glitch in the game, and they get stuck, and they go back and forth in the tunnels, and you could just sit on that screen. And the thing was, was to get the, you know, it's kind of like the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A-B-A, start. You know what, anybody, am I speaking anybody's love language? So it's kind of like that of the Atari. You would get the, some of y'all, it's okay. And so what would happen is it was kind of like if you could do that, if you could get the ghosts stuck, like you were a pro Atari player. Like you were really good, right? Some of you are like, where are you going with this? Just hold on. And so I remember getting them, you know, stuck in there. And I remember one time my brother got them stuck in there, and, I, and he got so mad at me because I went and ate the ghosts because I hit the big dot. And anyway, I got in, in a beat down by my brother, basically, is what happened. But then in about 1985, they came out with this console, and some of y'all remember this. How many of y'all remember forcing the game in there and holding it down with one of the cases so you could make it work, right? And I remember um, someone had stolen a um, Nintendo. This is kind of the way I grew up. Stolen a Nintendo, and we had this freezer out in our garage that wasn't hooked up. We just used it to store stuff. And I went in there and looked in there one day, and there was a Nintendo in there with, the, like, the robot and everything. And uh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I remember getting this Nintendo and figuring out, trying to, how do I hook it up? Like, it doesn't go to this box. It goes in these little ports. And I remember, like, opening up Super Mario Brothers for the first time. And I remember just being so fascinated. You know, the Atari just didn't do anymore. Right? Are you with me? The, the Pong just wasn't awesome anymore. Now we think it's awesome because we want to be little hipsters. But, but, back, but you, it wasn't fun, right? It's fun for like five minutes, not even that long. And so now we're playing this game where you go through levels and you're rescuing princesses and you're eating mushrooms. Sounds like an acid trip. And, um, and so we would play this game. And we would just spend hours and hours. Now kids are playing, you know, Xbox Live or whatever. I don't even know what the latest console is. And you guys will be telling these stories in 30 years. And I remember the first time I ever got an iPhone. And I remember opening the package and going and paying, like, a ridiculous amount of money for it and contracts and going and playing on this device and downloading apps and just being blown away and for hours. And nobody could peel it away from me. 
right? Put your phone down. No, I can't. I'm fascinated. I'm locked in. But can I tell you today, all this desire that we have to be entertained is all given to us by God. Now, we use it in the wrong way, right? We can't even carry on a good conversation with one another because we're so locked into a digital world, right, which is pretty sad. I'm guilty of that as well. And, uh, but, but this tells us something. We're so involved. I remember when movies come out, we're like, oh, I can't wait to the movie. I can't wait to the concert. I can't wait to the event. I can't wait to this thing. Why? Because I want my mind to be blown. I want to be totally locked in. I want to see something that I've never seen before. This is our heart. And can I tell you today that God put that desire in you. God put the desire in you to want to be blown away, to be totally fascinated, to be totally captivated by that. The reality is this, is we hate boredom. Right? I mean, it's like the mantra of a four-year-old. I'm bored. Right? And we all live life. Of course, when we grow up, we quit using that word. Right? We start using words like, well, I'm discouraged. Right? I just want something new. And when we get saved, we're like, well, God, what is your will? Which I think is a good prayer. But sometimes we're just saying these things out of just mere boredom. Can I tell you today that there is more? Wherever you're at, no matter how deep you are in your walk with Jesus, there is more. No matter if you're just starting out today or you've been in the Lord like I have for over 20 years or other people in the room for like 40, 50 years, there is still more. There's always more. Look at your neighbor and say there's more. The word fascination is this right here. The power to capture attention. The power to hold somebody's attention completely or irresistibly. Right? You know the movie's not really that good if you're on your phone. They've done a poor job. Something fascinating. Something that inspires great interest. Interest in something. Complete absorption in something interesting. So fascination is where we get locked into something and we can't escape it. We can't escape it. And God put this desire in us. Can I tell you this, that the best way to stay exhilarated in your walk with Jesus, because most of us struggle with this, if we were honest, we have a problem staying on fire for God or diligent in our faith or solid or consistent. We, we battle these things. Listen, I can tell you today, that the best way to stay exhilarated in our relationship with Jesus is to say, stay in a constant state of fascination with him. Most of us have tried Jesus to entertain us for a moment, but we have not experienced him enough to live a life in pursuit of his reality. When we are fascinated, focus is not an issue. When we are fascinated, focus is not an issue. We don't get discouraged. Oh, I, just, I just can't focus. I just can't focus. Listen, when you encounter Jesus for real, I'm not talking about a little experience you had or a prayer that you had 15, 20 years ago or 15, 20 days ago. I'm talking about when you meet Jesus, when you encounter him in a real way, focus does not become an issue. See, you don't have a discipline issue. You have a gazing issue. Focus, all you have to do to focus on Jesus is just look at him. He is so incredibly fascinating that we will get lost in his wonder. The reality is, is will we spend a life that says, Jesus, one thing I ask. 
This is what I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. Are you looking at Jesus? Are you looking at him during your day, on your drive to work, on the raising of your kids, of the paying your bills? Are you looking at Jesus? Because I can tell you, if we will develop a steadfast gaze at him, that's all it takes. All it takes is just a moment with him. What are you willing? And it really goes back to what I was talking about earlier. What are you willing to give to him, to give up for him? That's why fasting is so important, right? Because we just narrow our focus. It's like a laser. You guys know what a laser is? A laser is just light. It's just refined light. Once we develop that focus, that's why fasting is so good for us because we just focus in on Jesus. It's like, oh, this is what I want. I don't want food. I don't want entertainment. I just want to get alone with God and pray, and we're all blown away, and it transforms our life. To be more Christ-like is simply to be more Christ-focused. We need to stop focusing so much on the work that we do and start spending our time on the attention that we give him. Shift your attention. Shift your attention. You're worried about your bills? Shift your attention. You're worried about your relationships? Shift your attention. We were so, so burned out with people. Right? Oh, gosh, this person drives me up the wall. Well, why don't they get their act together? Benny likes when I do that, so I have to do that for him every once in a while. Why don't this person and that person, our economy, and why don't you just shift your focus a little bit? Maybe you need to give up an opinion. <laughs> Some of you need to be a little bit more open about your opinion. Some of you just need to shut up. Shut your mouth and open your eyes and look to Jesus. That's harsh. So grace-filled this morning. All right. I got told the other week that I was, we're, we're part of this Global Ministers Network, and I got, I got told the other day that I was the Joel Osteen of the network. And I was like, oh, man, I got some work to do. Uh, so anyway, wasn't that funny? No, it's okay. I like Joel. He makes me happy. Some of y'all probably need to listen to him so you feel a little better sometimes. All right. Okay. Moving right along. Love Joel. I love, love, I love, I love of every part of the body of Christ. Come on, are you with me? Just because they're different than me doesn't mean that. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I don't even know why I shared that with y'all. All right, let's talk about realities of living a fascinated life. So if we're going to explore the, 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 the wonder of God, then what we need to do is we, we've got to know, and that what we're doing is laying the groundwork for this series, is we've got to know what, it, what it's like, why fascination, why, how do we live in fascination. And so I've got, got three realities for you this morning. Number one, Jesus is full of breathtaking wonder. Jesus is full. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is full of wonder. Jesus is wonderful. He's wonderful. He's full of wonder. Check this out. Mark chapter 9, verse 15. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They were overwhelmed. They were like, who is this man that we've been reading blogs about? Right? Who is this man that everybody's telling us about? Who is this man? This man is Jesus. They were overwhelmed with awe. They were overwhelmed with wonder. They came out of the woodwork when Jesus showed up. Jesus knew how to grow a crowd. And it wasn't because he he was really good at marketing. 
or he had a, did a social campaign. It's because he is a man that is absolutely full of wonder. When we look at him, we're blown away. Um, in John, in Revelation, sorry, in Revelation chapter 1, we, and we talk about the book of Revelation, we automatically shift gears to like eschatology, right? The end times, that type of thing. Did you know that primarily the book of Revelation is not primarily a book about the end times? It's primarily a book about Jesus. That's why John in the first chapter says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book of, so I encourage you to pick up the book of Revelation and don't try to study it to know what's going on in our culture. Just study it to know who Jesus is. Because it's a picture of who Jesus is right now. So John, if you guys know who John is, uh, John was one of the disciples. He was a fisherman, and he started following Jesus. Jesus said, hey, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisherman. So John's like, cool, I'm on board. John became very close to Jesus. In fact, he refers to himself in, in his in, uh the gospel account of John, he refers to himself as the gospel that Jesus loved. Isn't that cool that he was so confident in his his love, that that he was so confident in the love of God, he said, the disciple that Jesus loved. So you don't have to be bashful when you're like, God loves me. You can just be super proud. John was, and he's one of the apostles, so he's a pretty good role model. Come on. And so what happens, if you guys know the story, is they try to kill John, Okay. They tried boiling him in oil, right? Deep frying him. They tried to deep fry him. They could not kill John. He wouldn't die. So what they do is they send him to this island called Patmos. It was like an Alcatraz of the day. And, he, so he, and, and when he's there, he gets this revelation of who Jesus is at that moment now. Right? Now, he had had a revelation of Jesus on the earth. Now he is getting a revelation of Jesus now and Jesus of the end of the age. He had been with Jesus on the earth, and now he was getting a different revelation of Jesus. His revelation on the earth was great, but he wasn't satisfied. So here he is, and he starts writing this book uh, called Revelation. Now, one of, the, one of the stories I love about John in the Gospels is they're sitting at a table one night, and John the Apostle says, Lord, and he says it this way, the disciple that Jesus loved, said, Lord, can I just come up to you and get real close to you and rest my head on your chest? You guys remember that? The, the King James Version says bosom, which is weird. First of all, that a man would have a bosom. Second of all, that it would be in the Bible, right? And so he's like, Lord, can I just, can I put my head to your chest right next to your heart? Can I just rest there? Can we cuddle? Right? And so we know the story that John sits there and he rests. And then I could imagine the other disciples getting frustrated. But listen, he was the only one that asked. It would have been open to anybody. I believe in those moments, whenever he asked Jesus that, Jesus said, this is the one. This is the one that I'll give the greater revelation. Because he wasn't just willing to sit with me and hang out with me and experience the miracles. But he was actually willing to get down and listen to my heart. That's what I want to be like, that I would be a disciple that would say, Jesus, I want to know what's on your heart, not just what you're doing on the earth, but I want to know what makes you tick. And so he goes, he's on this island and he starts having this revelation. He talks about seeing Jesus and his eyes are like fire and he had seen his eyes before, but he looks totally different in his glorified state. He's got eyes that are burning. His feet are like burnished bronze. He looks like this great ball of fire. He's just burning. And so he's writing all this stuff that he's seeing and all this, you know, 
eschatological language and kind of freaking out. And he says this. He gets a glimpse of heaven in Revelation chapter 4. And he says this. He says, I was in the spirit, and there was a throne set in heaven. And the one who sat on the throne, he was there, was like Jasper and Sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So John, the, John is here. John the apostle, he's here. And he starts seeing in heaven. And he sees all these creatures. And he starts going and all of this stuff. And he's, just, he's freaking out. He's totally blown away. And when he sees Jesus, he says this. He says, he's like Jasper. Now, isn't it interesting? He got this like teenage kind of thing going on. He's like, uh, how do I explain it? See, I'm convinced that John probably never saw a Jasper stone. He probably heard about them because he was a fisherman. He wasn't like, you know, he didn't shop at K Jewelers. He didn't know what a Sardius stone looked like. He, he wasn't exposed to that kind of world. But when he got with this man, he was like, he's like, uh, I don't know, Jasper. Now the word Jasper, that when you when I think of Jasper, I don't I don't really know what a Jasper stone. I, I'm like John. I'm not, I don't think I've ever seen a Jasper stone. But if you study what Jasper is, Jasper is a multifaceted stone like a diamond. It's got facets to it. It's got different angles, and and that makes me think of when I was a teenager. One time I was in church. That's right when I started going to church, and I was bored, um, <clears throat> like none of you are today. And I was sitting there, and my stepmom was sitting next to me, and I looked over there at her ring, and she had this big old rock on her, on her finger that my dad had given her. It was her wedding ring, and, and I just was looking and getting locked into this diamond, this multifaceted stone, and as the blood would, I was just sitting there dead still, and as the blood would begin to pop into her finger that I couldn't even see, the stone would just move just a little bit, just a little bit, and every time it moved, it looked totally different. A new color shot out of it. And I just remember sitting there during this boring message, being fascinated for like 30 minutes looking at the same thing. Just blown away. Why? Because it was multifaceted. There were so many different facets. See, the problem is, is we get a revelation about Jesus and we stay there. But he's just not there. He's also, it's not like he's or, but he's and. Right? Well, God's not that way. Careful, because you don't have the full revelation. God would never do that. Oh, whoa. Listen, if your theology hasn't changed a little bit in the last 10 years, that's not an indicator that you're solid. It's an indicator that you're not hungry. Right? Come on. It's an indicator that you're not wanting more of him. We've got to start looking at this man and allow him. And it says this that he, he dwells in unapproachable light. So he's seeing this man. He's like, he's like a stone, like light is hitting him. And it's like, boom, oh, wow, whoa. He's getting like hammered, right? Right, everyone? He's getting totally rocked. And then it says he's like sardius stone. Sardius stone is like, it's a red stone. It represents his passion. Then it talks about an emerald. An emerald is green, and it represents grace. It talks about this rainbow of covenant and a promise and all these things going around the throne. It's just this man full of brilliance, full of wonder, a man that he had seen before, but he's seeing him in a totally different way. That's my Jesus. So you're like, oh, man, I have these markers in my life where I've experienced Jesus. And he's like, 
this is who I am. And you're like, yeah. And I remember that, but now it's like, whoa, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? The greatest words that you can ever say in your life. Who are you, Lord? From the moment that you accept him as Savior and King till you get before him in heaven, who are you? I want to know who you are. He's incredibly complex, this man, Jesus. So if you find the Christian life boring or mundane, you're doing it wrong. If you find prayer boring, you're doing it wrong. If worship times are boring, you're easily distracted. You're bothered by somebody else's expression. You're doing it wrong because you're not gazing at the uncreated one. When you start to see Jesus in this beautiful, glorious state, when you get just one glimpse of the diamond, just one facet, worship is not a task. It's a response. It's just like, yeah. See, his presence demands worship. He doesn't have to command it. He just demands it because of how glorious he is, how beautiful he is, how multifaceted he is. You, you can't, when you encounter Jesus, you have to worship. It's just, I got to. Because it's reactive. It's like, whoa. And so he sees this. He's having this vision in heaven. And then he starts seeing all these creatures that have been in heaven forever, right? And they're like all around the throne and they're going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They've been saying it for millennials. This picture in heaven. Listen, can I tell you, this whole end of the age thing, it's all wrapped around one thing, the worship of King Jesus. And he's not this dictatorial God going, worship me. He's just like, can you see how amazing I am? And we're going, whoa, I will worship you. It's so easy. So when we get in these worship times, don't be like, oh, man, I don't really like this song. It's not about you. Oh, the band's really off key today. All right, I shouldn't play that. I shouldn't play this song. I said, this is my favorite song. Forget about it. It's just a vehicle. Sometimes a vehicle looks better at times than others. But it gets you to the same place. So if we're not fascinated by Jesus, it's because we're not looking. So we see this, this picture of these creatures in there. They're walking around heaven. They're going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, they're just saying it over and over and over and over and over again. They know for millennials. I mean, surely we would get bored with that. Not with my Jesus. Because every holy is a revelation. It's like, whoa! Holy! Holy! They're freaking out how glorious he is. And they've been standing in his presence forever. So get your mind off of your cars and your mansions in heaven. There's something way more beautiful and way more involved and way more fascinating than anything that your tangible earthly mind can grasp. He is going to blow you away. You're going to get hammered and you're going to start tasting it now. Now, it's important to know this. 
that what we don't know is as valuable, let me say it this way, is more valuable than what we do know. Good, right? Because knowledge puffs. I know that. I know. I know you're 18. You know everything. <laughs> Listen, and I'm learning this. I bet Benny's learning this, and he's been on his journey a lot longer than I have been mine. But I'm learning that what I don't know is way more valuable than what I do know. See, we all need to get our mind blown by God. We need it. Some of you need to go after a miracle. You see, go after it. Well, then I'm going after Jesus. You are. But you need to start believing him and trusting him for some miracles in your life. What are you asking God for that will just trip you out? Are you willing to ask God to see like blind eyes open? It's uncomfortable. Put your faith on the line. Do something you've never done. Stop boxing God in by your understanding or your experience. He's fascinating. He's incredibly intricate, mysterious. I love what Bill Johnson says about living with mystery. I'm going to read this. He says, living with mystery is the privilege of our walk with Christ. Its importance cannot be overrated. If I understand all that is going on in my Christian life, I have an inferior Christian life. The walk of faith is to live according to the revelation we have received in the midst of the mysteries that we can't explain. That's why Christianity is called the faith. So we live in this balance of revelation and mystery. Oh, I got this. Who are you? Number two. He is mysterious, right? And we throw that around, God's mysterious God. Sometimes we're just trying to be spiritual. I hate that statement because he is mysterious but not unsearchable. Revelation and knowledge are not the same thing, okay? We think we know something that we have the revelation on. It's not the same thing. Listen, knowledge will puff you up and fill you with pride with what you know. That's why it says, Knowledge puffs, love builds. So knowledge will puff you up with pride with what you know. Oh, I know. Right? Or even if you're humble, you're, yeah, I know that. I've, I've experienced it, right? Somebody comes to us with a revelation they have, and they're totally, they're like, God loves me. And you're like, yeah, he loves you. And you haven't got the revelation yet, so you're kind of like, oh, you know. Yeah, I know. Right? Oh, I know. I'll just kind of check out of this conversation because I already know. So knowledge will puff you up and fill you with pride in what you know, but revelation will inspire wonder in you and drive you to discover what you do not know. It's like the peeling, when you, when you get revelation of Jesus, it's not like, oh, I'll just camp out here. No, no, no. When you get revelation of him, you're like, whoa, it's an invitation. Here I go, I'm peeling back the layers of the onion. I want to know you more. Oh, wow. Really? It does this? We get hammered. Well, I don't want to be weird. Well, I don't want you to be weird either. Because weird people freak me out. And we're never weird for weird's sake, but I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to go for weird. I'm willing to be around weird people. I'm willing to do that. If, if that's what the cost is for experiencing Jesus at a higher level than I have, then okay, I, okay. Well, I don't know, quit, shut people down and worship. And they shouldn't be dancing like that. It's like, why? 
this was weird. So it offends your mind. Yeah, it offends what you know because you don't have that revelation. Yeah, oh, well, maybe you ought to pray for the revelation. I remember one year, I wasn't going to share this today, but I'm going to go ahead. We went to this event called The Call in uh, 2000, and uh, this movement started. It was on the Mall of Washington, D.C. And, man, I was like, I'd been leading worship. I'd been leading worship longer than I'd been preaching. And, man, I really considered myself and prod, you know, kind of prodded myself in being a worshiper. You know, I was after God. And I remember we were at this event, and there was this young man, and he had, like, gauges in his ears, and he was, like, all, like, you know, this was before everybody had gauges. It was, like, one in, like, a million people had gauges at the time. And he was just this freaky-looking, like, cat that looked like he probably lived on the streets. And he was, like, we were all worshiping. And, like, I look over there, this kid, like, Jason Upton's leading worship or something, and we're all, like, going after it. And there's this kid, and he's, like, doing this weird, like, kind of, like, dance. And I'm, like, and I was, like, whoa, that's weird. And, uh. And I was like, that's cool, man. Like, I just, you know, kind of just, I was like, that's cool. That guy's like going after God. I was like, Lord, I was like, I want to be able to worship you like that. And he said, why don't you? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I tried to put my little dude on. And, uh, but I, I'll just never forget at that moment. I was like, I, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever will I envy somebody else's worship. I might be inspired by somebody's, but never, ever will I look at somebody else's. I'm going to just give Jesus all I got. So revelation will inspire you to go after more. Knowledge will just keep you there. When the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, he established in you a capacity to receive revelation. Okay? We know God's a mystery. We're blown away by it. But when you came to Jesus, he gave you the Holy Spirit so you could receive revelation of that mystery. So we see Mark chapter 4, verse 11, right here. Jesus is telling the parable, and then he says this. He says, the secret of the kingdom has been revealed to you, but those who are on the outside, everything is said in parables. Other words, i got to break it down real basic for them. They may be ever seeing and never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So Jesus is saying, I gave you the revelation. You can receive the revelation because you are with me. It takes Jesus to understand Jesus. Okay? And I can say this today, that it brings him pleasure to reveal himself to you. It brings him pleasure to reveal you. He's not, he's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. He loves to be found of you. He loves to be found of you. He loves it when you discover something new about him. It lights him up. Check this out. Ephesians 1.9, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Did you know that God created you for pleasure? For his pleasure? And you know how he gets pleasure? By showing you who he is. We're like, yes, God, it's so good. He's like, isn't it? I'm so glad you got it. I'm so glad you understand how good I am. And I got more to show you. Number three, he invites us to explore his wonder. So because we can't have revelation, and because we have that capacity now through the Holy Spirit, because he is fascinating, he invites us to explore who he is. Ephesians 1, 17. This is Paul praying over the church of Ephesians. And God's heart for us today. He says, I keep asking the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not so you can be more super spiritual. Not so you can have a hand up on somebody. But just so you can know him. This is the prayer of the kingdom. That we would experience the spirit of revelation. That we would have moments like John had on that island. I also pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order to know that you may know the hope that which he has called you of his glorious riches and the inheritance of the saints. It's incomparable great power for those who believe. So he starts talking about the human heart here, that our, that our heart would be strengthened. And he says that in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 where he starts talking about experiencing the love of God. He's like, would you be strengthened when you're inner being? See, God wants to lock us in. He wants us to be fascinated. So our, and, and stability comes from that. God wants to bring his depth to us. He want, Listen, God wants you to be deeper than you are right now. No matter how deep you are, you might be super shallow, right? You might be like a, a bread and water kind of Christian. He wants you to be deeper than that, wherever you're at. And it's not just because he has a high demand. The demand is high. Let's, let's just be real. The demand is high. But he doesn't, he, he doesn't have this for you to meet the demand, but because he enjoys you getting to know him. <laughs> See, one of my favorite things is like to hang out with my kids and like tell them stories or buy them gifts or give them words of affirmation. I love to show them how I feel. I love for them to experience my affections. Because they're my kids. One of the most jacked up things in the world is, is when they misunderstand me. I'm not a perfect father, but I'm trying to be a good father. And if I know that I feel that way in this measure, then my heavenly father must totally be immeasurably in that. Proverbs 25.2, it says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. So God is the concealer of mystery. He has the mystery. But he's giving us, as Revelation says, that we, that we are priests and kings in him. The glory of kings is search a matter out. So God's given you the ability to search his riches, to search his mystery, to discover who he really is. One more scripture. Actually, I got two, but this one right now. Psalm 16. Lord, you have assigned me my portion. In my cup, you've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen upon me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the name of the Lord who counsels me even at night. And my heart instructs me. So David's talking about this. He's like, even my heart when I'm sleeping is like being nourished. I've had a few moments in my life where where I've like been dreaming about God in my dreams not like physically, but just like experiencing him like in church or worship service and doing things or seeing God a miracle or something like I, I dream sometimes about stuff like that. I wish I would dream about things like that much more. And then I've woken up from those dreams and I could feel the presence of God in the room. Does that ever happen to anybody else? What is it? That's God working on my heart even when I'm asleep. So this is the kind of relationship that David had before the cross, before the capacity of the Holy Spirit. How much more? Can we have? 
I love what Missy Edwards says. She says this. She said, how far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? It's not about, God, how far do I have to go before? No, it's like, man, God, how far will you let me go? How lost can I get? How fascinated by Jesus can I quite possibly be? I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Stability, it's all in him. It's all in the focus. Be, set the Lord. How do you be solid? How, how, how do you just be solid? I need to quit being like this. How do I do that? Just set the Lord before you. I'm trying so hard to quit doing it. Set the Lord before you. I need to be more disciplined. Just set the Lord before you, and you will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. What is he doing? He's worshiping. He's worshiping what he's fascinated with. He's saying, my heart is glad. You ever had those moments where your heart's glad? You're like, oh, yeah. You just had those moments where you're just exhilarated? You're just like, yeah. (laughs) Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You're just like, where did that come from? Oh, it's the neurons. No, no, no. Jesus wants you to live there. He wants you to live with a, with a heart that is overwhelmed with wonder and joy and fascination. Always. Isn't it a great plan that he has for us? Isn't that a good plan? I mean, that's way better than like anything that I could do is just to be discovering Jesus. Then my tongue rejoices like worship is a response to this reality. Hey, Nate, since you're here, could you come play? just on the acoustic or something. You guys have seen that movie Matrix, right? Okay. So it starts off, and it's totally like the same thing as Alice in Wonderland. So for you old school people, you get this, right? She, she follows the bunny down the rabbit hole, right? And it brings her into this place that's full of fascination. So in the movie The Matrix... Uh, is it Morpheus? Is that his name? Okay. I'm in the right room. Uh, so Morpheus, <laughs> Morpheus is there, and he goes to Neo, and this is the first movie, right? And he's like, he's like, you can take the blue pill, and you can just leave everything the same, and your life will just go on kind of the way it's always been going on. He's like, or you can follow the bunny, right? He said, you can go down. This, this bunny hole. You can go down this wormhole. You can go through this eternal journey, something that's going to blow you away if you take the red pill. And if, we were, if you've seen the movie, you know he takes the red pill and, you know, it gets, like, unlimited and it's awesome. But some of you today, you, it's time to take the red pill. And I'm kind of on this journey, but I really like doing it with people. And so I would like to take some people on that journey with me today.